Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. My name is Doug Wortham, and I have the distinct pleasure of hosting today's show. On today's show, we'll speak with the command team from the 133rd Airlift Wing. We'll check in with the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs and get an update from the command senior enlisted leader of the Minnesota National Guard. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. In 1914, a Blackfoot Indian named Red Fox James rode horseback across the country seeking approval for a day to honor American Indians. On December 14, 1915, he presented endorsements from 24 state governments at the White House. But despite his best efforts, a national day was never proclaimed. That changed in 1990 when President George H.W. Bush proclaimed November as National American Indian Heritage Month. Every year since 1994, Americans celebrate what is now known as Native American Heritage Month. As we recognize their vibrant culture, we must also remember the painful history they've endured. Despite centuries of forced assimilation and injustice, Native Americans held on to their traditions and languages. That kind of perseverance proved vital in World War II when Native American code talkers helped turn the tides of battle by providing rapid and undecipherable communications. On behalf of the Minnesota National Guard, please join me in celebrating and remembering the invaluable contributions of Native Americans throughout the history of our nation. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining me in the studio is Colonel Jesse Carlson and Chief Master Sergeant Rick Schumacher. Colonel Carlson and Chief Master Sergeant Schumacher are the command team for the 133rd Airlift Wing. Colonel Carlson was selected as the wing commander in March of 2023, and Chief Master Sergeant Schumacher was selected as the wing command chief in September of 2023. Gentlemen, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you in the studio. Um, It's always good to see some uh, fellow brothers in arms. I got to spend a lot of time with... uh, with uh, your brothers, your sisters, fellow airmen, um, when I had my previous position. And so it's just great to have you in here. Um, how about if we just take a, a quick minute um, and, and just tell me a little bit about maybe your, your history and what got you to where you're at right now. And so, Colonel Carlson, I'll just start with you. When did you join uh, the Minnesota Air National Guard? Yeah, sir. I uh, grew up in Cocado, Minnesota, served on active duty after attending the Air Force Academy, and after a short break, uh, decided that I, you know, really missed that camaraderie and serving, had a friend in the unit. And so in 2010, I joined the Minnesota Air National Guard and have been with them ever since. And so you just came out of, I mean, obviously you're the brand new wing commander, but you were a group commander uh, before this selection. Where were you at? Uh, so I was in the 133rd Operations Group uh, right there at the base. And then prior to that, I was over in maintenance, serving as both the maintenance squadron commander and the Aircraft Maintenance Squadron Commander. All right. And, Chief, um, when did you join the Minnesota National Guard? What's your career look like? Yeah, my path was a little different than uh, the colonels here. I uh, started in 89 with the 133rd. 1989. Yeah, let's make sure we get that clear. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 34 years. In January, I'll have 35 years at the 133rd. Right. And so what kind of positions have you had along the way? So I started in civil engineering. Um, actually, before that, I was a student worker cutting grass out there and uh, joined the the 133rd Civil Engineering Flight and uh, moved over to operations group as a loadmaster. And I did that for 13 years. And then I moved my throughout my career in operations group for like 30 years. 
And recently I moved over to the maintenance group as their senior enlisted leader for the last year to kind of prepare me to to uh, um, compete for this wing yeah. command chief position. Well, you know, and I, I imagine that your grass-cutting days, those records were expunged. Otherwise, they might not have selected you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, actually, we did more uh, sodding than we did grass-cutting that summer, so if I remember all right. right. Well, all right, so you two are a command team. Mm. Um, that means that you're both the senior people inside of the 133rd Airlift Wing, and uh, what's that been like? I mean, March, September, uh, you, re- you haven't been in positions for more than a year, let alone just a couple of months together. Uh, Colonel, how's that going, and what does that relationship look like? Yeah, well, I've got to set the record straight that I first met Chief Schumacher uh, while I was waiting to square into the unit. I had uh, kind of joined the unit, but I hadn't actually sworn in yet, and I started playing hockey with those guys. And Chewy actually Mm -hmm. uh, has a notoriety of he busted up my face with his stick, and I uh, needed some stitches on my chin. So we knew each other for a long time. Time after that, well, I think that's uh, I've the normal him. welcome, isn't it? Well, I, I've I've forgiven him, but I I don't forget. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, so you've got some good jobs ahead of you, or taskers from the commander. Yeah, paybacks. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it, it's great uh, when you're looking for a command chief. Uh, mm-hmm. Chief Legvold was retiring, and I needed to get a new command chief. And it works out well to have a team that you know kind of starts together and builds together. Um, and so when we had our panel put together of who we were going to select, we had uh, three individuals that we interviewed, all three of them outstanding interviews, um, outstanding airmen, chiefs. But really it came down to trying to find someone that's a complement to your weaknesses. And uh, the entire panel all agreed that Chief Schumacher was a good balance and would help me find my blind spots so we can better serve the wing. And so, Chief, I mean, just a couple of months in now as the, the wing chief, have you found all of his blind spots, or were you already pretty familiar with them? I'm still working on that, but, uh, no, we we definitely are a good team. Um, I can give him good advice when he needs it. Uh, sometimes I have to tell him what he doesn't want to hear, but I also have to give have a good pulse of what's going on around the wing so I can give him that feedback. Well, I think that's the important thing, right? You have to have that mutual respect where you can tell him the things that he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear, and then vice versa, right? And uh, and if you're not out beating the street, meaning, you know, spending time with your airmen, you, you can't come to him with any morale issues or other issues that uh, really need to be addressed inside of the wing. 100%. Yeah, so speaking of things going on in the wing and and morale, I want to come to you, Colonel, because there's been all this talk about the C-130s, the H model, the J model, the Super J model, and the Minnesota Air National Guard, the 133rd, was one of eight wings that were competing to get this new J model, um, and then you were actually one of four selected. So what does that mean to the wing? Well, the the big thing is that I think it's a true testament to the people that we have in our wing. Uh, we've got over 50 years of experience flying C-130s, and so we're known nationally as experts at our craft. And so what this is going to ensure is that we're going to continue that expertise and provide that service to our country and to the state of Minnesota. Uh, when they are looking at which units we're going to receive these aircraft, you know, they looked at our, our manning rates. They looked at our aircraft performance rates, how our flying hours were. And, and again, 
no matter what equipment you have, it doesn't matter if you don't have the people that can get the job done. And that's what came through with the teams that came out and looked at all eight wings, and they said, yes, this is one of the best wings in the country. You know, and I think that's just such a testament to um, the culture that we have inside of Minnesota, specifically in our in our National Guard. I mean, every unit uh, from the Army side to the Air side, uh, when you rank or rack and stack against other units, it's it's like the units from Minnesota always – raised to the top. They're always near the top in performance. And, and that's just a great testament to, to the leadership um, that uh, you all bring to the team because it, it doesn't just happen 20 years ago and then just stay that way. New leaders have to keep bringing that uh, type of culture forward. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we learned that we are, you know, going to have these aircraft purchased uh, they are provided by Congress. They are an appropriation. And so we knew that there's going to be four units that were going to be receiving these. And so we really challenged the folks in the wing starting several years ago with uh, Colonel Cleet, now General Cleet, as well as uh, General Gabrielli, that we knew that in order to be one selected, that we were going to have to step our game up and show exactly what we are capable of doing. And our people answered the call and did a lot more like during the COVID years and uh, with all of the stuff going on in the world, they knew that it was important to keep pushing hard to make sure that we could stand out and show exactly what we are capable of. Yeah, we just have 30 seconds here, but some of the advantages are um, the aircraft has the latest avionics, longer expected lifespan, the J models uh, or the H models are you know, what you're working on, 25, uh, how, how long has the platform been around, you know, forever? Um, so this just kind of puts you and sets you up for the future. Correct. Like I said, we've been doing it for 50 years, and this is going to ensure that now with this new airframe that we're going to continue on into the future. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back, and then I want to talk about the training needs that are going to be a part of this transition. Uh, we're speaking with Colonel Jesse Carlson and Chief Master Sergeant Rick Schumacher from the 133rd Airlift Wing. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham, and in the studio with me is Colonel Jesse Carlson and Chief Master Sergeant Rick Schumacher. They're the command team out at the 133rd Airlift Wing. So, Chief, I want to come to you. Um, you know, the colonel was talking about, you know, this transition from H to J model. And, uh, you know, part of your responsibility as a senior enlisted person is to ensure that your airmen are receiving the training they need to perform the mission at hand. So talk to us a little bit about what kind of training requirements and what kind of concerns you have as you make this transition. Yeah, sure. Um, Although it's an overwhelmingly positive situation that we're getting the J models, we have to be sensitive to the fact that we are losing two career career fields. We lose uh, the navigator and the flight engineer. Now, I would generally just stop you right there and say, wait a minute, navigator, but the J model has that built into it already. That was a part of the upgrade, the the avionics and the navigating system. And the pilots, they get more training on on what the navigator does as well. But, um, yeah, we do lose those two crew crew positions, so it is a concern. Um, We are going to handle that in a different situation for everyone, right? Some some of those individuals will finish their career out in the H models, um, while others will cross-train either to pilots or um, loadmaster if they want to keep flying or they can go into a different career field altogether. So we'll, we'll handle that as it comes. And so 
I'm assuming, and I don't understand all of the ins and outs of those positions, but I'm assuming those are officer ranks. Is that right? For the navigator, it is officer, but for the flight engineer, that's enlisted. It's an enlisted person. Okay, so that's why you're saying they could convert or transition into like a load master or something like that's that. That's correct, yeah. Okay. And then is there, I would assume then, you know, mechanically, there's got to be some different things you have to learn about this new uh, aircraft that has Rolls-Royce uh, um, engines on it and the, the turbo and this and that. There's got to be some differences there. So what kind of transition does that look like? Absolutely, yeah. We'll have to send a lot of our maintenance individuals back to school, and uh, they'll get formal training on the new aircraft. Okay. And so you guys have a plan, obviously. Um, it's not like this was a surprise. But, Colonel, when do we expect to receive the first J uh, model? So the exact sequencing for when each of the four bases that were selected are going to receive their planes is still kind of be determined. And part of that is that they have to overlay and look at what requirements are going to be needed for combatant commanders and all of the other needs throughout the the nation. So right now it's uh, with the director of the Air National Guard. He's, you know, looking through some of the data and figuring out, okay, what makes sense for which units to convert when. It could be one unit at a time. It could be all four units receiving some aircraft. All that's still being worked out, but I would anticipate that we'll receive our aircraft anywhere from about two and a half years to six years from now would be like the farthest out that it would be. And my assumption as well is that you're not going to wait till you get them to start the training. Uh, this is something you can start putting into place now um, and, and start really setting the stage for when that transition uh, comes fully into play. Right. The The conversion is the key, and it's, you know, not only just the people like Chief Schubermacher was talking about, you know, getting... The, the right training for that, but also any infrastructure needs that you might have. Again, this is a, a bigger, longer aircraft, so we will have to do some minor modifications to our hangars to make sure that they can accommodate it. Um, working with units that have converted in the past and see what challenges and struggles that they might have had so that we can learn from their lessons and not reinvent the wheel. So really, even though we might not see iron for two and a half years from now or maybe even longer, the, the transition really is starting now. Yeah, and and I would imagine that hangar space has got to be kind of a big thing because, of course, you know, in January, it'd be nice to have that aircraft in a hangar to work on it. Yeah, it's definitely a lot better than the uh, alternative of having to be out on the ramp uh, working in the cold. I'm sure our maintainers would appreciate a, a nice warm hangar. Yeah, I, I bet that they would. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about um, the 133rd and you know, kind of what your your op operations tempos look like, you know, um, deployments, future deployments, people out on deployment right now coming home. I mean, what kind of status can you provide to um, our listening audience about, you know, the great work that our men and women in the Minnesota Air National Guard are doing right now? Yeah, ironically, uh, we've got our aviation package, which is our uh, flyers and our maintainers are deployed right now. They're over in Africa and uh, the news of us receiving these new aircraft came while they're deployed. So Chief Schumacher was talking about some of the anxiety that these people that are going to be losing their crew positions, we had to be sensitive to make sure that they understood that we're taking care of them. They're out there trying to execute the nation's call. And, you know, as we make this transition, again, we have to make sure that, you know, we're still able to balance the needs of getting ready as quick as we can, as well as making sure that the people are taken care of. And do you think that with the J model transition taking place, that that will hinder your ability to do some of these mission requirements that might come up? Yeah, so when you uh, enter a conversion like this, they'll, they'll give you a period of time that you essentially stand down the unit 
and are focused solely on learning this new aircraft. So so we will be afforded that opportunity to do it, and that's why when they're deciding which airframes are going to go to which bases and when, they've got to make sure that as an entire enterprise that we consider all of the needs, not just within uh, the nation, you know, with the firefighting ops and hurricane relief and all the humanitarian work that we do in addition to that national call and the federal mission that we do, all of that has to get balanced so they can't have everyone stand down at one time or it's going to just overwhelm the system. Right. And so um, in in the immediate or the short term, um, did you have additional airmen that are preparing to go out the door? Is that stuff that you can talk about? I mean, we can talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, we are always sending people out the door. I mean, I don't know if there's been a in the 14 years I've been in this unit, I don't think there's been a single time that there hasn't been some airman deployed somewhere. And I'm sure, you know, with his 35 years of it, Chief <laughs> Schumacher can, you know, talk about how it's so much different now from what it used to be 20, 25 years ago prior to 9-11. You know, that's actually a good transition because you've experienced that for the 35 years, you know, throughout your career up through the ranks. And then now in the position you're in, um, you're, you have to keep track of all of these soldiers, or excuse me, these airmen that are coming and going. I mean, how, how does that work for you? Well, definitely has changed. Um, when I deployed after 9-11, we had uh, calling cards, basically. You had to put in a 15-digit card in, and you get to 10 digits, and you're like, oh, crap, I missed a, missed a number, and you'd have to start over. And uh, nowadays, um, you, they're on deployment with their cell phones, and they're they could text you right back or they have their email. So you definitely feel way more connected than back in when I deployed the first time. Yeah, my, my son uh, recently returned with the 210th uh, back in June. And, and it's just interesting to compare my two deployments to his deployment and, and the things you're talking about, right? And, of course, he was in the cable. He's a cable dog. So they make sure life is pretty good as it relates to uh, the Internet and connectivity. But, uh, okay, so, you know, is that a – obviously it's a good experience for you to be in the senior enlisted position inside of of the wing. Um, You've been in position for a couple of months. I mean, how – how is it getting out and visiting and getting to know some of these these airmen now in this new capacity? Oh, it's great. Um, I'm actually starting a new – my predecessor did a podcast himself. I'm still waiting for the invite to get on that one, but, you know. Well, now I'm sorry that that's not going to happen with me. I'm doing a little bit different. So I'm going to do little video clips, little video shorts that are going to be a minute long, and it's going to be me going around and trying different jobs around the wings. So it's going to be – shoes shots and I'm going to take take my shot at doing different jobs around the wing and interviewing the airmen that do those jobs. So it'll be a little bit different and unique, but some funny and some more serious, but it's going to be a lot of fun. That's Looking a great play to. on words, shoes shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That's a great idea. Great idea. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, you know, like 30 seconds, 40 seconds here, and I just want to ask both of you the same question. You've had long, distinguished careers. Um, I wouldn't say that you're at the pinnacle of your career, because um, there's still life ahead of you, uh, potentially. But what would you say to somebody, you know, that's just getting out of high school or, you know, entering their senior year and they're thinking about uh, joining the uh, the military? I'll start with you, uh, Colonel. Yeah, and I, I would actually change that, not say just that kid that's looking to get out of high school, but just anyone that has considered serving in the past. One of the sharpest people we have in our wing right now works in civil engineering and he enlisted when he was 40 years old. And 
the maturity that you get from someone that's kind of established in their career already, it, it really adds something to the wing. So I would encourage anyone that had at any point in their life thought it might be something that they'd want to do and serve, find someone, talk to it, come see a recruiter, come visit the base. There's a lot of opportunities out there, and it shouldn't be solely that high school kid. Real quick, Shoe. Yeah, like yourself, my son uh, joined in 2021, so he's a loadmaster out there, and it's kind of been a family tradition. My dad was in, and he was a technician out there, so we have three generations of Schumachers at the 133rd, and uh, I highly recommend it. If there's anybody out there that has a family member or a friend uh, to come out and check us out because it is a great place to work, and it's a it's a great um, way to start your career. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Minnesota Military Radio. Appreciate really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That is Colonel Jesse Carlson and Chief Master Sergeant Rick Schumacher, the command team out at the 133rd Airlift Wing. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. In a moment, we're going to have a conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, here's Temporary Commissioner Brad Lindsay. The Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs offers support and customer service seven days a week to Minnesota veterans and their families through 1-888-LINK-VET. Dedicated staff at LinkVet provide information and referrals via telephone, email, and online chat. It is Minnesota's one-stop shop that offers immediate answers with one-on-one assistance for all veteran-related questions and needs. Visit minnesotaveteran.org to chat with a LinkVet representative or search our large question-and-answer database. Call 1-888-LINKVET today. Thank you, Temporary Commissioner Lindsay. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining me in the studio is Gene Meyerhofer. Gene is the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility for the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Gene has over 20 years of experience building diverse, inclusive, and safe workplace environments. Gene received the Voice of Inclusion Award from Minnesota College and Professionals Association, the Golden Apple Excellence in Education from the City of Eden Prairie, and was the Human Rights Commissioner for the City of Brooklyn Park. Jean, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, it's great to have you in the studio. We talk about this topic, um, and it's an important topic, and I want to get into that a little bit. But before we do, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and what led you to the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs? Sure. Well, I started in education. Um, I started as an elementary school teacher way back when, um, and then that took me into um, higher education. Um, So I worked for the University of Minnesota, and then most recently for the the Min State, Minnesota State Colleges and University System. Um, I think um, with the COVID global pandemic, I was looking for something a little bit different in wanting to give back um, in, into a different industry, the healthcare industry. So somebody recommended me to Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. What's wonderful about MDVA is we have uh, a component of healthcare with um, five and soon to be eight veteran homes as well as a a component of programs and services that um, give service back to veterans and families. So it was a perfect fit for me, and um, I started about a year ago. 
Yeah, well, so congratulations on the move or transition to the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. So as I said in your intro, you are the um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. You're, you're the director of that program over at the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. That's a lot of words, and that's a big title. Tell us what that role really means um, and what it means to you and what it means to the Department of Veterans Affairs over in Minnesota State. Yes, a, a lot of words. You're right. It's hard to fit on the, the name tag. So, But um, it you know really encompasses one of the, the main areas is trying to have um, a workforce that's reflective of the different communities that we serve here in Minnesota. So a lot of um, MDVA's emphasis is, is looking at our hiring process, making sure that we're really accessible, inclusive, really reaching out and trying to find um, the most diverse workforce that we can. Um, another area that we focus on is then we want to make sure that our employees are having a really wonderful experience with us because, of course, they're providing service to our veterans. So we want it to be the utmost uh, quality service. So we focus a lot on employee engagement efforts, um, employee wellness, and in, in trying to make our workplace very accessible and inclusive for all. Um, some of that also entails um, I get to use my education, so uh, training and education opportunities for our employees. And is it fair to say that the goal, um, of course, is to increase the diversity or the makeup of of the organization, but is the goal really to reach out and provide information to where that diverse population is to let them know about opportunities that exist within the agency. Yes. Um, one of the great things about MDVA is we're really located across the whole state of Minnesota. So, of course, the metro area, but really in all corners of Minnesota. Um, so in terms of hiring, we're really trying to um, work in and support the communities where we're located and to hire um, folks that represent those communities. Uh, we have three new homes opening very soon. Uh, three new communities that we've um, gotten to know and have received wonderful support. So Bemidji up north and then Montevideo um, west of the Twin Cities and then Preston um, around the Rochester area. And so with the agency spread out throughout the entire state, I mean, that, that that's a lot of work. Um, so how do you manage that? How do you uh, make sure that the diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility goals are being met within the agency when you're just spread so far out across the state? Yeah. Well, nobody can do this work by themselves. So we have a wonderful um, equity change team at our organization. And equity change team members are, again, located across our sites in Minnesota, um, and they're working on the goals that I had mentioned. We're trying to diversify our workforce. We're always trying to make sure that we have a welcoming, inclusive workplace environment. And then we're always trying to advance our skills, right, to do better, to increase our skills so that we can provide, again, that best service to veterans and their families. And so when you talk about the change team, those that are supporting you and the goals that, that you've put forward, is that directly then tied to or are they exercising the change plan that uh, you've talked about previously? Yes. Uh, one of the wonderful things um, for just any of the agencies that are part of the state of Minnesota is that each agency um, has an equity change plan or diversity plan, and, and we do too. And um, the equity change plan is helps us, you know, keep focused on these initiatives and keep committed and, and accountable for the work that we're doing, right? Because we really want to be making a difference um, in trying to 
uh, eliminate any type of barriers that might be there in terms of our hiring, in terms of, again, people wanting to um, be employed with us, in terms of having that work, a respectful, inclusive workplace environment. And so we know that the MDVA is a state agency. So is that change plan then reflective of the state of Minnesota's plan and their goals uh, for diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility? Yes, the state of Minnesota has a a long-range plan for equity inclusion for the whole state. And so we align our goals with, with that plan. And, and that's important for um, the commissioner to make sure that, you know, because the governor's priorities got to be his priorities, right, which then become your priorities. And so um, when you look at the work that you're doing, you know, what what's the reward that you get? What makes you feel the, the best, you know, when you wake up in the morning like, yeah. yes, I got to do that? Uh, well, one of the reasons I came to Veterans Affairs is is serving veterans is really important to me. Um, my, my dad is a veteran, but he's a veteran from Korea, from South Korea um, Army. Um, but most importantly, through my work experiences, I've gotten an opportunity to work with students that that served or were serving um, and, and employees. Um, I had a really, really great colleague at one of the colleges that I worked with that um, served in the Army and was just one of those people that was just very um, infectious, always so positive, always sharing about their experiences, always so helpful, um, but sharing about um, how hard it is, right, when you're when you're being deployed and then you're coming back and just the toll that it takes on your family. Um, that um, colleague passed away, um, uh, um, and he um, died by suicide. So Veterans Affairs, uh, one of the initiatives that they have that's very important to me is veteran suicide prevention. So it's just another reason why I you know, enjoy working for Veterans Affairs. I feel like I'm giving back. I feel like I'm serving. I'm feeling I'm, like I'm doing something to help others. Yeah. So you talked about um, that you were a teacher, and, and I know then, because you, you told me uh, as we were prepping that you, you do go out, you do some training. Um, is the concept, which isn't new, but is this concept of DEIA, um, is that something that causes any friction or resistance, or, or are people really receptive uh, about it and kind of lean forward with helping support that initiative? Yeah, well, again, one of the uh, reasons I was excited to work for Veterans Affairs is MDVA does have a commitment. Um, prior to May coming, they already had the equity change plan, um, a commitment to affirmative action, um, a commitment to diversifying the workforce. So it was easy for me to to, to join with um, uh, with those priorities. And it's just very easy to uh, work for Veterans Affairs because people are committed. That's yeah. one of our goals in the equity change plan is that hopefully every employee that works there, some component of their job that they're trying to be uh, advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more with Jean Meyerhofer from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. She's the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham, and I'm speaking with Jean Meyerhofer from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. She's the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. Um, so, Jean, you know, we went into break here. We're talking a little bit about, um, you know, the, the great work you're doing over at the MDVA. This is the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. So when we talk about inclusion or diversity, I would assume that having an increased 
veteran population working for the MDVA is pretty important. What does that look like for the MDVA right now? Yes, it, very important because we're Veterans Affairs, so we want to make sure that we're representing and that we're employing veterans at our agency. Um, currently, we have um, about 1,300 employees. By next summer, it's going to be roughly about 1,700 when we have the new homes um, all completed. But out of that population currently, we're about 10 percent of our employees are, are veterans. So we definitely want to uh, increase that, right? Again, we're Veterans Affairs, and we want to make sure that we're representing well um, the the care that we provide um, for our veterans, the, the service that we're providing for programs and benefits. Having um, veteran employees that have that lived experiences just makes for that even more connection that we have with our veterans that we're serving. So it's definitely uh, something that we're working really hard on. Um, when you visit our different homes located across Minnesota, you can just see the care and the support that people are providing to the veterans. And again, a lot of our veteran residents um, feel even more affinity to our employees when they are veterans themselves. So it's just a wonderful um, connection, wonderful to see when you're visiting the homes. We'll give you the opportunity to plug the website and we'll share it again um, with our uh, show notes. But uh, let's... Let's go back. You you talked a little bit already about, you know, what the, the joy you get, why you like going to work. Um, but tell us a little bit more about why you feel that what you do for the MDV is so important. Well, I think I mentioned um, um, I, my, my background is Korean, so I'm second generation Korean American. And um, my family coming to America, it was because of the Korean War, right? It was... Um, um, really difficult time, and um, both on my mom's side and my my dad's side, they were able to come to America and 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 have a really good life here. And so I feel our family we owe that to the the service of veterans. So every day that I wake up, it makes me feel good that I'm giving back in some way, right? For this wonderful life that I've had. Um, so I um, I think our former commissioner used to say, "Every day is Veterans Day." at uh, MDVA. And it's so true. So every day you feel like that you are uh, doing something really good um, to, to provide service to those that have served us. So, Well, I couldn't, have, uh, I couldn't have scripted that any better. Um, Jean, so we did have like maybe 30 seconds. Where would you tell people to go? Because you've mentioned job openings. You mentioned the new homes coming. There's going to be a need to fill some of these positions. We'd love to get more veterans working at the MDVA. Where should someone go if they have an interest in working for the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs? Yeah, you can find all that information about MDVA at minnesotaveteran.org. So you'll find out about our new homes, um, events coming up, and, of of course, um, career vacancies that we've got. Well, Jean, it's been a pleasure to have you in the studio. I really appreciate you taking some time and sharing with us a little bit about you, your background, and what you're doing over at Minnesota Department of uh, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. That is Jean Meyerhofer from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Joining us now is the Command Senior Enlisted Leader of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson. Chief, great to hear your voice again. 
Great to be back on the air with you today, Doug. How are things? You know what? Things are going fantastic. I just had the command team from the 133rd Airlift Wing here in studio to talk to them a little bit about, you know, the 133rd, the big uh, transition um, to the J, the Super Hercules. And uh, that was a great conversation. And so... Um, I'm, I'm going to wrap up my day talking to um, another one of my favorite air persons, and, and that is you, Chief. One of your favorite. Your son's got to be your most favorite. Well, though. of course he is. I mean, yeah. you know, it's family, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you've, been, uh, you've been running. You've got a lot of things going on. Right. And right. there's just a ton of stuff. We've got a short amount of time to, to get to it. So talk to me about this deployment cycle. We got people coming and going. What what are you celebrating over there? We're going to celebrate because we will be welcoming home some members from the 133rd. They've been on deployment and they'll be coming back here the first part of December. So you'll see something coming up. Um, It's going to be a a great time to bring them all home safely and right in time for the holidays. Um, The 148th, and the 133rd are both getting ready to recognize their award winners and retirees and all of that in the next coming couple of months. So that's a big thing that both air wings get to do. Along with that, um, we are still working with our state partner program, Norway. Um, we're actually going to be hosting a, uh, a working group here at Camp Ripley where the team from Norway comes over and the team from Minnesota gets together and we'll plan our first ever uh, mill-to-mill engagements that we get to do with them. You know, being a new partnership with them, uh, these are the things that we, we get to do with them. And so we're looking out two years to plan these events. We do this with Croatia as well, but this will be our first time sitting down with our Norwegian counterparts, and we'll get to do it at the lovely Camp Ripley, which they feel right at home at because it's just like Norway. Yeah, and I, I would imagine, you know, obviously this is different. You've had this reciprocal change exchange going on for so long with Norway. So we've already got a great relationship with them. But this formalized state partnership program, you need to do some different things. There's different training, there's a different perspective. And so that's what this uh, get together does is it, it just helps you to kind of put that plan in place. So you can justify to the Department of Defense or whomever um, that, hey, this partnership is moving and we're doing the right things. Absolutely, yes. And I was just last week in uh, Amsterdam for the CHOD conference, the Northeastern or the North European Chief of Defense Conference, where I was with my Norwegian counterpart, and he and I sat down to come up with what are our, our goals as the two senior enlisted of these two, or to, you know, me, the, me, Minnesota, him, Norway, what are we looking at for our enlisted to work together? So you know that, that cultural exchange is with the Home Guard. And now this SPP is with their entire military. So it's not just the Home Guard. It's also their Army, their, uh, their Air Force, their Navy. So we, this, this opens up so many other doors for us. You know, they have the C-130Js. So the 133rd is going to be very interested in getting over there and working, collaborating with them on things that they've done as they've gotten those new aircraft, along with they have the F-35, which, you know, 148th is always looking for the next platform. It might not be the F-35, but definitely uh, things to look at. And with that uh, fight in the high north um, and winter training, the two, the two, uh, our state and this country, just it's just such a natural connection, and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. Well, that's awesome. So we've got uh, just under a minute here. And, yeah. um, Chief, hey, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. What kind yeah. of message do you have to our soldiers, to our airmen, to, to our public? 
uh, to our public, well, especially to our service members, our soldiers and our airmen across the state, hey, now's the time. Take your knee. Spend some time with those that you love dearly. Um, it doesn't always have to be family. Make sure you're including your friends in a lot of this. But really take that time. Uh, there's no better time than the holidays to get together and reflect because you just don't know what's going to happen. So please take that time. And, you know, just coming off of Veterans Day, boy, are we loved in this state. And just a thank you to the general public for all they do to make us feel welcome and to thank us for our service. And that is so appreciated. Um, it's just it's it's a honor to wear this uniform, and it's an honor to uh, to be thanked by so many people, and uh, we appreciate it. And make sure that we're thanking all the veterans in and out of uniform. Thanks, Chief. Chief, have a great rest of the day. I appreciate it. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Right. Thanks, you too. Bye. That was Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson, Command Senior Enlisted Leader of the Minnesota National Guard. We're just about out of time, and I'd like to let you know that this show is for you. If you have topic suggestions, show feedback, or if you're a Minnesota veteran and would like to share your story, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com, click on Contact Us, and send us a message. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Gene Meyerhofer, Colonel Jesse Carlson, Chief Master Sergeant Rick Schumacher, Command Chief Master Sergeant Lisa Erickson, Temporary Commissioner Brad Lindsay of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Next week, we'll speak with Federal Ammunition, spend some time with the Minnesota Patriot Guard, and get an update from the Director of the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Doug Wortham, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I hope you have a great week. And I hope you find a way to make a positive impact on someone's life. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.